Hey everybody, it's Rahel Castillo here alongside me, Chris Brown, and welcome to another short Woodward Tigers mini, if you will, as we are in the middle of a football fantastic weekend. So check out all the great content over at woodwardsports.com. Michigan, Michigan State. We did a recap. Chris and I was doing a first half recap. I kept that very generic because, quite frankly, football wise, I it's it's it, baseball is one thing. Baseball, no problem. Football. It's another, and it, you, you know, there's lots of study with the nuances of the blitz, whether having a safety blitz, or excuse me, a prevent defense. It's a little tougher, but again, we just reported what we saw, and then, of course, the after after the game, Michigan winning, and the ugliness that took care, that took, happened in the tunnels, and we got all the angles covered, and Adam just dropped the article, so go to WolverSports.com and check it out and participate in Woodward chat when the shows go live tomorrow. I'm sure all four shows are going to be talking about that all day. And they're going to probably talk about the Lions collapsing as they could not score in the second half like Beavis and the Dolphins pulled it out, winning 31 to 27 as Detroit now falls to one and six on the season. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about something that was dropped in the middle of the news cycle yesterday, possibly at four o'clock yesterday as the Tigers named Mark Connor, the director of amateur scouting. He joins the team after 13 seasons with the San Diego Padres, a team that you and I have spoken about. But before we get started on that, I want to thank our source who gave us the information beforehand. So thank you, that source. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he gave us that name about a week ago. I thought it was a no, cheat. Longer. What's hey, they. 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 Yes, we don't want to choose pronouns. Our source gave us this name. About a week ago, but we don't, we didn't come out with it, right? Because we don't have. Well, we, we, we talked about, I mean, we said, and there's a name. Yeah, we, we talked about it. But in any event, we had heard about this, which gave us a, a little bit of a heads up to like do some research and stuff. So yeah, it was, it was easy to, fairly easy to crank out an article and, and, uh, and actually Evan Petzold broke it, I think before the Tigers wanted him to, right? I mean, the Tigers had their official PR statement today. I mean, not necessarily. I'm, I'm assuming that they would prefer to break the news on their own, but I don't think they're upset with them or anything like that. Like I can't speak to it uh, one way or the other, but yeah, it's one of those interesting things where you had, I don't think a lot of sports fans were particularly interested in it yesterday. It was, it was right before Michigan, Michigan state were playing. As you said, it was a big football weekend. There's candy everywhere. So settled song from the nineties. I smell football and candy. The uh, that's Marcy's playground. Yes. Yeah. I think it was football. So yeah, but it, it's one of those interesting things where it, it's it's a more impactful hire than people probably like that than it gets credit for or than it gets publicity. Right? This is a guy who's going to be determining how the Tigers scout, where where scouts go, all that stuff, setting up their scouting, their draft board for the next several years. So that's something that fans have complained about for a while, right? That the Tigers just haven't been getting enough talent in the draft particularly in later rounds. And Mark Connors got a pretty strong track record in San Diego. Yes, he does. And that's first and foremost, he also has a majestic beard. That was the, one of the things I first noticed, but all kidding aside, yes, his track record does speak for itself. And he has been with, like we mentioned earlier, 13 seasons with, with San Diego. He also has familiarity with AJ Hinch was mm -hmm. the vice president of pro scouting in San Diego at the same time he was there. Cause he was the, he was an amateur scout there in 2010 after his playing days and, or excuse me, coaching. He was coaching. And yeah. From there, 
he was the, named the director of scouting for the Padres in 2014 until he held it in 2021. And Chris, before we go a little further, I wanted to clear up a little bit something, and I thought you did a really good job of Twitter on this, on Twitter, explaining why he had a certain fallout with HAE. It's Preller, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, he, he was, his first year of scouting, he was named the Padres Scout of the Year. So they obviously thought he was pretty good. And, and to go from just an amateur scout in 2010 to the head of scouting in 2014, that tells you that this, this dude is good. And yeah, they had, they had a bunch of quality drafts. But 2021, if people, if you go back a year, the Padres were supposed to compete for the World Series last year, two years ago at this point. And they were fine for the first half. And then they had that epic second half collapse where nothing went right. And it kind of felt like at that point, AJ Preller had to make some moves just to make some moves, right? Like it's sort of the, we don't entirely blame Scott Coolbaugh for the lack of hitting this year, but you have to fire him anyway, because something, somebody has to pay the price for it. Right. Right. And so Mark Connor was removed from the, as the head of scouting and he was, I think he was reassigned to the special assistant. And I think he was working kind of going around from affiliate to affiliate. Kind of like a Alan Trammell role, like helping with, with the players develop and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of like, I, I don't know exactly what the deal is there. They didn't fire him for lack of results. They just wanted to go in a different direction. And so it, it, it stands to reason that he would probably want to not be a special assistant anymore, get back to scouting or being the head of a, a scouting department, which he, he is evidently very good at. Yeah, and, and the, the thing is with that in mind, you look at San Diego's system recently in the last few seasons, there's been a lot of, for me, I, I can't help but notice, but the amount of Cuban players they have in there and a couple guys that they have, for example, from the Mex Mexico Red City Devils, they have a, a prospect by the name of Atirso Ornales, and they also have a couple of Cuban, Yeni Rojas, it's a shortstop, and a few others. And so this is a system that's been getting more international but as you mentioned in your article, one of the things that they're able to do in, in is draft very well. So, I mean, he's got, in terms of late round draft picks, you're talking about David Bernard, Ty France, and then was it from, this is an impressive stat you posted here. The Padres drafted 23 prep players in the first five rounds, and the Tigers have only done, comparatively speaking, the nine. So, but there's been, it, even, it goes beyond just the draft. You're looking at draft picks in terms of or guys they got back in returns. You're talking about, Profar, Hansworth, Clevenger, Nola, it goes on and on. So there's, there's, he definitely has an eye for it. And especially getting your local hero in Joe Musgrave to come back, who's been pitching phenomenal and, and continuing the curse of, hey, I paid for the Pirates, but I'm going to be good somewhere else syndrome. So because apparently you've been playing at Pittsburgh. But no, Chris, it, it, I think it goes a little beyond that too. Yeah. And, and so like you mentioned it's his first couple drafts. He ended up, they got high France, I think the 34th round, 35th round. And he you know, eventually was graded to Seattle. And then they got David Bednar in the 34th or 35th round the next year. They got two potential or future all-stars in the, the 30th round and later, which is impressive. Now, we talked about this in our, in our, our piece about Rob Metzler, that we tend to, to get a little reductive with these things. We just give Mark Connor 100% credit for every player that's drafted. That's obviously not the case. The GMs often pick up top, sometimes even the owners and the, the scouting director sets the board or whatever, but then he's just kind of, you know, moving things around. He's not out there scouting every single one of these players, but with 
the deficit of information we have, we just kind of go with what we know. We have you know, who got drafted and who made the majors, basically. And uh, there's development and all that stuff after that. But the Padres, since 2016, got the fifth most war out of the draft. So that's even better than the Rays did when we were talking about Messler. But yeah, we, we talked about those first couple rounds. And after that, I mean, they got, I think 2016 was Cal Quantrill and Eric Lauer. And, yeah, and then after that, it just, it's, they tend to take two or three prep players at the top of every draft, if not more, which is just the opposite of the way the Tigers have done things since forever. Since, I don't know, the early 2000s, right? So let's see, they, they took, there was Ryan Weathers the one year. They took CJ Abrams in 2019, the year right after the Tigers took Riley Green. They took Xavier Edwards. I'm trying, trying to think. The one year they took Owen Casey, who we saw, right? He was the only guy who got hits off Jackson Job and Job's. What's the thing they do? He was not, he, he was not originally a Cubs prospect. He went to the Cubs in the U Darvish deal. And that's, that's kind of the wild thing. The main uh, legacy, I think, of Connor scouting was that his picks allowed the Padres to make all these crazy trades. And you, you touched on it, but like their entire starting rotation was traded for. They traded for Clevenger. They traded for Musgrove. Musgrove. They traded for U Darvish and they traded for Snell. And they used all sorts of draft picks, including Cole Wilcox, who they got in, was that 2020? Yeah, um, think, yeah, yeah 2020. Cole Wilcox considered like a top 30, top 25 prospect in that draft. But they got him into like 80th pick and gave him first round money. And then a couple of years later, they turned around and traded him. And yeah, I mean, Mark Connor's final draft, 2021, the 27th overall pick he, he used on Jackson Merrill, a shortstop out of like Baltimore area, who really blew up late. The guy I really wanted the Tigers to get, but he went even before they could, you know. He wasn't a guy they were going to take up top where they took Joe, but I thought maybe they could get him with the, like the Madden pick or the Pacheco pick, but no, he went, went before that. And then their next pick, they got Kings, who is now considered a borderline top 10 prospect in all of baseball. They got him at like 62, high school player. And then they got Robert Gasser with their third pick, who they didn't use to trade for Josh Hader. So like the, the entire Padres roster has been built on trades of that, that Mark Connor crafted, including getting Juan Soto and Josh Bell, right? They traded Mackenzie Gore, who was a first rounder. They traded TJ Abrams. They traded Wood, among other players. So yeah, I mean, he, at the very least, he's been able to draft players that other teams want, which is a good start, right? They haven't set the world on fire with their production at the big league level, but they probably will before long. It wouldn't shock me if in five years. The players that counter drafted San Diego are among the best in all of baseball in terms of war. And the one thing about you can cut, I know this is a weird analogy, but he's kind of the banker in a sense of the Padres because he allows those prospects to be currency to be traded for other things. If, if, he, if he's playing Monopoly, he's the guy who's the banker, he's a Monopoly banker because he's setting him up, he's going to allow you to ho- trade your hotels or railroads to get yourself going and even a guy like if, if we think about it this way we have the advantage of and the pleasure of being in high a right now we have we're in the midwest league territory and the four-way tin the fort wayne tin caps every year have like four or five all-stars every single year them and the rays the rays are now i'm trying to blank on their high a affiliate right now bowling green bowling green the hot rods so every year those two teams always have representation in the All-Star game. They have guys like Ryan Berger who 
on the surface, you look at his numbers, his ERA is not sexy, but he's got 129 strikeouts and 101 innings pitched. There's something to be said there. And this is kind of the first year, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, this is the first time four year for Wayne was kind of down. This was not yeah, a good for them. They literally traded away like 95% of their prospect. That this was in in let's see, AJ Preller, he kind of went the Dabrowski route. Like like just just you see get the big leaguers. What there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. As long as you can draft those prospects that are worth trading or that the teams covet. And the Tigers have done a little bit of that lately, but not to the level of that the Padres had. The Padres in, in 2018, they were the number one farm system in all of baseball, according to Baseball America. 2019, they were number one, according to MLB Pipeline, and I think number three to Baseball America. Like they had built this, this juggernaut. It wasn't all through the draft, but a lot of it was. They had also they traded Fernando for Fernando Tatis, which worked out okay, and they spent a ton of money before the new rules came in there. They spent a ton of money in the international market. But yeah, I, I think uh, Connor has the track record to, to for people to get excited. Like it, it's and just as as a draft nerd, a baseball draft nerd, which doesn't there's not a ton of us around. I'm I'm more intrigued by the exciting high upside high school player, right? And and that doesn't mean that you don't get great players from college. It's just like, think of the most exciting Tigers prospects now and over the last couple of years. It's who, who do we have? Number one right now, Cole Keith, Cole Keith, high schooler who, who was a, a top five prospect, uh, another infielder. For a second, I, I threw me for a loop. I thought you were, I was thinking like top five overall. Like it meant like, like I was, Thinking of Riley Green, but uh, yeah, yeah, well, no, Riley Green is another one. Like yeah. Riley Green's the guy that we, uh, you know, to be kind of the, the heart of the team going like, forward. High school outfielder, like yeah, we had a number one in ours too. I mean, we were everybody was like, oh, no, Torkelson, like no, no, we're gonna go with Riley Green, and we were pretty step ass about it. Continue though, and, and it, um, like I said, it doesn't always work out. You take high schoolers sometimes, Bill Burrows sometimes, uh, Matt Manning. It's taken a little while to figure things out. It, it's, but. There's just more upside, generally speaking. And and so I think the Tigers would do what they would do. They would occasionally take a high schooler with the first pick or their second pick and then call it a day. It's nothing but a college guy. The Padres will, or under Connor, would take four or five high schoolers in a row at the top of the draft, take a high schooler in like the seventh round or eighth round, just something like go get out there and beat the bushes and find which high school kids will sign for less than top five round money. And so... It's just, it's just a different way to go about the draft. And maybe that's all I care about is just the different. But I do think that it's probably going to result in a few more high upside players, which would be nice. That would be nice. So, so randomly speaking, I just chose a year. I chose 2013 Tigers and just high school or prep players that they drafted. Only one of them signed. And that was a gentleman by the name of Adrian Castanato. A center fielder they drafted in the sixth in the 26th round 786 pick overall in 2013 so that is was the 2013 draft Jonathan Crawford yes it was I believe yeah, so, it, yeah. Crawford Zylmec or Zomek Kubica uh Armour and that but that fits Dombrowski's MO of yeah. getting college guys and, and fits that the not just Dombrowski but that's yeah I mean that, that was what we saw during David Chad and Alavila over and over and over again right they can take high school players like in the top round. We saw it with, with Jackson Job. But but so then yeah. you go to the Padres 2013 draft. 
So they so they signed their the highest pick was in the second round, Dustin Peterson, who I mean he didn't do much. I mean Dustin Peterson. Well, I mean, twenty thirteen was was Connor was there. He wasn't the scouting director at the time. Was, the scouting director was Billy Gasparino, but Connor was a scout there. Oh no, I'm just giving an example. I'm just I'm just giving an example of like the high school mindset versus like yeah, yeah. The, I give a lot of credit to the Padres farm system too in terms of the development system. But let's just give an example of so this is a 2013 draft. Okay, so Connor's just a couple years in, but as a scout, but you have Josh Van Meter who ended up playing 300 games in the major leagues. You have Jake Bowers. You have who mentioned Peterson. You got three guys. I mean, Van Meter was a fifth round draft pick. Bowers, a seventh round draft pick. The point is, they got to see some major league time. So if you want to go, if you want to go to the Padres, you said he took over in 2015, right? Well, let's just go 2016. 2015 was his first draft, yeah. So let's go to 2016, just to have the kind of a little bit more comparison. So, so I think they, that, that was that was actually the year that he went college heavy. <laughs> yeah, that so it worked out. But they did draft JJ Bidet, who ended up getting drafted by the Marlins later, but he didn't sign, of course. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Mason Thompson. And Jack Swinowski. Okay, that's not really much to. And those actually, and actually, correction. Yeah, they they all signed. The point is, they signed. They made some sort of effort to sign. So we go to the Tigers' 2016 draft, just for basis of comparison for S and Giggles, if you will. You got Matt Manning. Matt Manning, and you have Brian Torres. Remember Brian? Remember Brian Torres? They signed him. The yeah, the catcher out of the Carlos Beltran Academy. Mm-hmm. It was a 23rd draft round draft pick. Nothing. And after that, it was the same thing. It was all later. I and mean, then Josh Smith, who ended up not being the Tigers drafted in the three of round, he said no, of course. But he went to LSU. Yeah. So I know I'm just picking random. I'm cherry picking a little bit. But the point is the history in the last decade of based off getting high school talent just just really started until the last few seasons. So you can tell, again, we, we keep talking about this, the the new way versus the old way. The, the new way was Colt Keith was taking high school talent like that. And Isaac Pacheco, even like we, we heard from people that Isaac Pacheco strikes out too much and is kind of defensively a liability. We saw that firsthand for, for first of all weeks. And then after that, he became a different player, but the old way yeah. it's, it's go ahead, Chris. Well, no, I, I think part of that speaks to, and we've kind of thought about this before is that, that I'm not sure that Al Avila and the rest of his brain trust actually believed in player development. They believed it was possible. I, I, I feel like they, coming up as scouts, they almost felt like players, if they weren't products, at least their tools were. And so it, it's very entirely possible that they didn't think to take high school players because they didn't think that they would get any better. I, I don't know. It's like, it's weird yeah. because... Because yeah, we, we heard that Pacheco wasn't, well, there were some, some pretty serious warts in his game and it looked like that in his first year in the, in the Gulf Coast League or whatever it was, the complex league, I guess. So, but he made a bunch of changes it, it's like player development has become a thing now. So maybe it's not so risky to take the high, high high schooler anymore. I don't know, but yeah. And then we can't predict the future. Maybe they'll come out in this next draft to take six straight college guys. I don't know, but, but if you look like, like the 2017 Padres draft, they did spend their first six picks on high schoolers. I just, I can't ever picture the Tigers doing anything close to that. So maybe 
we'll see a little bit more fun on draft night. And, and, you know, I mentioned the Paul Wilcox thing, right? Like they are willing to get a little bit more creative with their bonus pools than the Tigers had. The Tigers tried a couple of times, right? It didn't work out so great. 2017, they got a little cute and ended up with Ray Rivera in the second round and Sam McMillan in the fifth round. And, and uh, yeah, and, but they, they've done things where they saved a little money here and there to, to get a guy, but I think we might see a little bit more aggression in the future. Yeah, but we're not going to see something along the lines of Hayden Parrott, left round draft pick for the Tigers in 2006, drafted out of high school. That's not going to happen. I, I, I like just that's the thing. Like you, high school talent, and there was a chart. I, I can't remember if it was on Baseball Prospectus or Fangrass, but they were showing how teams are drafting more high school talent more and more, and the like, the curve has been going up and up and up. And we're seeing results of it because of good development, good systems that are able to develop talent. And Mm -hmm. look at the Tigers, Caber Mabin. That's really, I mean, in just terms of high school positional players. Oh yeah. Position players. Yeah. Don't even get, it's, it's, it's grim. It really is grim when it comes to positional players that the Tigers have been able to develop from high school, drafted out of high school. That wasn't, that was not a pitcher. I mean, you have to, yeah, I'm thinking Think about it. Austin shots didn't work out. Daniel Fields got one hit. Scott Moore. Uh, Scott Moore was a bad Scott idea. Scott Moore. It, you're going back to like Brett Cleveland. Brett Cleveland? Yeah, same draft. It was the same draft too, I believe. Like 2002? 2001? Yeah. 2000, um, yeah, 2002. Remember, remember, I mean, the Tigers. Neil Jenkins. That never heard round, that, that guy was drafted in the third round in 1999. And I remember that was... The only reason why I remember that, the only reason why I have someone recall that, because I was just, who who's Neil Jenkins? No idea who Neil Jenkins was. It was just, it's just something, it sounded like a fake name or something, Neil Jenkins. But yeah, that was, that's an example of the the Tigers in the past that just, and, and ironically enough, in that same draft, the only person that came out of that draft at high school was Cody Ross, but yeah. he did it elsewhere. Yeah, that's true. So, but the Tigers, it was funny to see this weekend. By the way, the World we'll talk about the World Series in a second because I do want to mention that real quick. But the the Tigers are a lot more closed-lipped. So it's they're kind of tightening things up. There's going to be a lot of new people. And so, again, new relationships will be formed and all that. So the whole process has been interesting because the World Series is going to probably come to end this week and then free agency. So we're going to get riled up for that. But even, again... There, the, the I like this. I like the fact that the Tigers are keeping us on our feet because, quite frankly, it's I keep I keep mentioning this before. Predictability is a bad thing. But speaking of predictability, no one predicted Nick Castellanos to make the play he did <laughs> the game one of the World Series because I, as soon as I saw that, I I I, I kid you not, because you and I have talked about this numerous times. Nick Castellanos' defense, his defense, his defense, and he comes up with a big play and somewhere I, you're, you're going. Like, shit. Well, I mean, like, it same almost the exact same play against the Braves. Was it? Who did Philly play in the opening round? Oh, but, was it the Mets? No, it wasn't the Mets. Was it? Was it the Mets? Yeah. He he had a very similar play. That's all I'll, I'll, I remember. But no, it, it's it's with Castellanos. Anybody's capable of making a good play every now and then, right? It's just he, he's the guy that that doesn't have the range to get you good grades as a defender. I. Braves, I view him, Braves, 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 Braves. Yeah, I view him as as it's my dumb and young theory that I talk about every now and then that, that 
pitcher or players who swing at everything are the most dangerous in the playoffs because pitchers are slightly less inclined to like deliberately throw balls out of the zone, try to get guys chase. At least they used to be. So somebody who just swings at everything is, is, is more likely to just bang a home run that you're not expecting the Eddie Rosario, Delman Young theory. But yeah, I mean, it, it the Phillies, you come back from five, nothing in game one was super impressive, but then the Astros show their championship resolve by basically shutting them down yesterday and Berlander's quest for a world series win continued. I, I, one of the strangest things you'll ever see is one of the greatest pitchers of all time, one of the greatest playoff pitchers of all time until the World Series, in which case he is the worst World Series pitcher. And he was, he, he was dealing. Yeah, it's, it was bizarre. He was dealing. And then <laughs> I, I thought that Philadelphia did a really good job of adjusting because he was trying to come inside. They just started taking what was given to him and started making hard contact. And Philly's already got a mentality up there. They're just going to swing, not you know, literally swing for the fences. They're, that's what they're going to do. But at the same time, I, I think that for Verlander, I mean, he was out there throwing gas too. He's been throwing heat the entire playoffs. But Philly, this isn't this isn't Seattle. This isn't the Yankees. This is a team. Philly, among National League teams, has a lot of power. I mean, Schreiber hit 46, 47 home runs this year. As among the, the again, they struggled under Joe Girardi. But this is a team that can pound the ball, and you got some real boppers in, in JJ Ramuto who literally took a ball to his face, took a ball to his face, and comes out and hits a game-winning home run in game one. I mean, kudos yeah. to you, man. It's just holy. That was a surreal. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous lineup. Like you mentioned Schwerber, you mentioned Real Mudo. There's Harper, Hoskins, Alec Bohm, and Bryson Stott can do some things. It's, it's Gene Segura is a good hitter. It's a really, it's a big lineup, so it's tough to navigate. But Frank Valdez did it pretty well, right? But I, it looked real good. Yeah, although, although people think he was cheating. Yeah, I was <laughs> just gonna say there's a lot of massaging and and, well, and then didn't yeah. So Martin Maldonado was voted to have an illegal bat, right? Just yeah. a, a lot of shenanigans in game two that that unfortunately I didn't I wasn't able to watch most of it because I was watching the football game because we were writing about it. But yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Like like I feel like Houston is the better team, but all it really takes is for Philly to get one more win here. If like they win the next game. Or it feels like a big advantage for them. So this is the, the most important game of the World Series coming up. Yeah. No, and I, I was splitting duties. So I had my laptop. I had the Michigan game on. And on my phone, I had the World Series on. Because that's, yeah, because I'm, a, you know, I'm a, a junkie like that, apparently. But yeah. it was, but then it was the reason why, too, is because it was nice to see in game one. I watched game one, and it was good to see the ghost of David Robertson out there. Yeah, Robinson, I thought it wasn't in the league. Totally forgot he was in Philly. Not going to lie. Not going to yeah, lie. No. He, well, remember he got hurt celebrating. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he said he wants to come back and, and, and play some more. So, I don't know. It, it's a It's been a fun World Series so far. And we just kind of hope the Tigers will get there at some point for the next five years. Six five years. years. Six Eight years. years. Maybe it'll be quicker. We'll see. I mean, it is good to see, especially in this division, to be possible. Who knows? The White Sox are imploding. The Twins the are. Box. Yeah, I mean, the Twins have to spend money again, and there's no guarantee of that. But the, the, again, the Twins are, do really have a good system. But again, it's just going to be a. It's going to be free for all if they can come out of the Central. But it's just, like I said, the American League is such a, a beast. So, but. Please subscribe to Woodward Tigers YouTube channel if you like our content and go to woodwardsports.com 
and check out the podcast feed. And again, participate in all the shows throughout the week. The morning show will definitely have some rants tomorrow based off. Of course, this is sound dated, but check out the morning show each and every day with Adam and Jeff. I afraid they do really good work. Of course, we were Pistons covering you at all multiple angles. There was a really good article done by Brandon, a.k.a. Kool-Aid, about is Cade Cunningham selfish? So people flipped out because they read the headline and didn't read the story, but that's a typical Twitter thing. And yeah, we all, all sorts of stuff. We got all, all the content you need over at WilbertSports.com. So for myself and Chris Brown, we'll be back on Thursday with a brand new episode. Yuper will be back with us, producer John, and maybe we'll get a special guest. Maybe we'll talk to Padres on the farm or Friars on the farm. Yeah. Be it's good. been a while since we talked to those guys. And maybe we'll get, huh? No, I just started singing Creed for some reason. I don't know. Do we think, like, what other big hires do they need to make? I guess they have to hire a hitting coach still, right? A GM, though, right? But they still have GM. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, they have. But a, beyond that. Conditioning. Oh, conditioning people. Oh, they yeah, they did. They got rid of Kevin Rand, or they didn't yeah. really do Kevin Rand. But they, and they reassigned uh, Doug Peter. Also, they have to realize. Again, this is going to probably take some time before they do this, but is Brian Payne going to come back? Is, you know, again, because these yeah, are, not, yeah, yeah, I think Gabe Alvarez would be the closest thing to a Garco guy versus anything else. Andrew Graham has been there for, I mean, he's survived. He's like the, he's been around he was, for a long time. He was at West Michigan eight years ago, nine years ago. So, yeah, yeah. He, could, he could be, everyone loves Andrew Graham. But again, it's just going to be they, they. They might want their guys. They might. You know what I'm going to see? Here's I'll make a out of the box prediction. No, not out of the box. Just a prediction. I think you're going to see some of the. You're going to see a younger manager take over at some point. Either in, I think Erie's fine. I think Gabe Alvarez is going to come back to Erie. That's just again, no. It's not based off just not even just. Yeah, I mean, the only place where the manager is is I guess could even be described as old is it's Polito, right? Lloyd McClendon yeah. has got to be in his 60s, early 60s, late 50s. Yeah, I believe so, yeah, something like that. But I think um, I, mean, I think there's going to be like a young, like 30-year, like somebody in their early 30s that could be managing. Know, yeah. So, it again, it depends on who they have preference for. But there's a lot of – there's going to be a lot of changes on there too. So we'll see what happens. But have a good, happy Halloween, whatever you do for – if you celebrate Halloween, if you don't. Whatever, it's just another day where kids are annoying you, then I'm sorry to hear that. But uh, yeah, just stay away from the sugar too much and have a good night, everybody.